Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Chris Greenwood. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm super glad to be here this morning. While our senior pastor is on sabbatical, I've had a blast these last three weeks. Teaching on, reminding us about the primary purpose of worship, what the primary thing we're supposed to offer in worship, and the experiences and expressions we can enjoy in worship. Today's my last time with you all before I hand the preaching range over to Pastor Neil for September's sermon series on lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament Joseph. I've been stirred to preach this message for over a month now, and so I'm ready to get into it. Uh, Are you guys ready this morning? Okay, great. I asked Pastor Mark to see if any of the youth would assist me in reading the scriptures this morning, and Michael Skipper has stepped forward, as you can see. So, Michael, if you could just read the verses uh, from Ephesians 4 for us. If you want to turn there, you can. They'll also be on the screen, but I'm going to turn it over to Michael. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in, in, a, matter, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministries, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine. By human cunning, the, uh, by human cunning, the craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the hand, uh, the hand unto Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it is building itself up in love. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth as is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are a member of one another, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather give him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the reason that it may grace to those who hear. And do not give the Holy Spirit. Of, uh, do not give the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Michael, very much. Let's pray. Father, this morning, if all everyone in the room or on Facebook does is just listen to me, then this is a complete waste of our time. But Lord, this morning, if we dig into your word, if we hear from your spirit, if we have an opportunity to come face to face with the immortal God of the universe, then we will be changed. And so this morning, Lord, would you hide me behind the cross? Would you make me less so that you might become more? And would you make known the wonder of your word as you help us to look at this concept of success and what does it mean to be successful and help us to redefine it according to your, your definition and your ways. So we give you this time and we give you our hearts and our minds. Help us to pay attention and to focus and to lock on to everything you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody. Uh, success. I want you to define it. Seriously, right now, I want you to grab a pencil, a pen, a charcoal stick, a highlighter, a whatever you have around you, and I want you to just, on your bulletin, on some little scrap of paper, uh, on the notes tab of your cell phone, I don't care, I want you to write down your definition of success. I'm going to give you just a second to do that. How do you define success? Now, don't Google it. Don't do that. Your definition of success. Success, to me, means... Write it down. Go ahead. I'm going to give you just a little bit of time. All right, let's see how close you came to some major definitions. Webster. Webster defines it as the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. Is that anywhere close to yours? The fact of getting wealth, respect, or fame. All right, how about Google? Google defines success as the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Is that any better? Any closer to what you might have? Yeah, it's, it was for me. And yet, even with Google's definition, we have to know what the purpose is in which we're trying to achieve in order to actually accomplish it. See, it just says that success is the achieving of the purpose. So until we can actually determine what the purpose is, we can't really evaluate whether we have succeeded or not. I want to put a little pin in that concept, and we're going to move on. Uh, for just a moment. I don't know if you've ever seen Bolt or not, but that's my favorite little guy on Bolt. Let's put a little pin in it. So we're going to put the pin in that for right now. We're going to move on. Let's run down a different track for a few minutes. What does success look like for a church? I'm going to give you an imaginary scenario with an imaginary church and thinking about success, again, somewhere else on your little scrap piece of paper, I want you to take a second and write down the first couple of things that come to your mind when I read the following conversation. You know, everything at Happy River Community Church is going really well. I mean, they're just nailing it on every level. Really? How so? Well, fill in the blank. 
What would a successful church look like to you? What, would pop, what pops into your mind at Happy River Community Church? If you're saying everything's going fantastic there, what is it they're doing right? Write those things down. All right, now that you've got a few little things jotted down, we're not looking for a, you know, a research paper. We're just going to move on. Defining success at a church level is a vitally important topic because we in the Western world have very corporate metrics of evaluating success rather than biblical ones. Edmund Chan uses the alliteration of bodies, bucks, and buildings. He says that often we define success in our churches by the amount of people that come and or our members, the size of the church budget, and or what we spend that budget on, such as missions, and the size and condition and number of buildings that we own. This has become increasingly a part of the metric with the rise of multi-site campuses. The other major metric currently used to define success is the programming, or what is offered at a church. So now, what it, does what you have written down fit into any of those four categories? Bodies, bucks, buildings, or programming. My guess is that at least some of what you have written down could find a place under one of those four categories. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's not how I would define success, Chris. Okay, let me test that. If a church doesn't have a decent amount of people coming, and everyone has a different understanding of what decent is, doesn't have a stable budget, doesn't have nice-looking buildings with at least some of the latest technological upgrades, and doesn't have a selection of programs that fit your perceived needs, and that's all you knew about it, would you view that church as successful? Would you desire to go there? Would you even try to find out what actually does happen there if none of those things? Would you even visit? The real answer is most of us, we wouldn't. Do you want KPC to have more people sitting in the pews? Do you want our budget to be more stable? Do you want the condition of our building to continue to be upgraded and updated? Do you want more programming and options? I do. But does having those things happen here at KPC mean that we're being successful? If those things are not happening, does it mean we're not being successful? I ask all those questions to try and get you to see that the metrics we commonly use to evaluate success versus churches that are failing is faulty. It falls short. How about this? Are the preachers and Bible teachers that many of us spend time listening to really the best ones out there? How do we know they're the best ones? Why is it that we listen to them rather than some preacher at a 50-person church? Why do we assume that they're the best ones? Isn't it because they come from large, quote-unquote, successful ministries or churches? Maybe we don't assume that. Maybe you think I'm misrepresenting you. Okay, let me suggest this instead. I propose to you that the reason those preachers and teachers are easily available for us to listen to is because at least, if not us, our corporate-based culture has decided that they are succeeding using their metrics, bodies, bucks, buildings, and programs. Therefore, the rest of us should hold them up as being the greatest preachers out there, and we should all follow and emulate them. Otherwise, where's the pastor of the 50-person church that's on national radio, national TV, and has a huge online following? He's pretty hard to find because... According to our culture's metrics of success, 
what he's doing, while maybe well-intentioned, isn't successful. Now, please don't hear me say that having lots of people, a stable budget, nice buildings, effective programming are worldly and horrible things. I'm not saying that. And please also don't hear me say that listening to David Jeremiah over Bob Smith, if there's a real Bob Smith out there at a small church, I'm not, I have no idea. I'm just making up a name. Don't hear me say it's wrong to listen to David Jeremiah or these guys. It's not. I listen to them. But do hear me say this. That's not the metric that the Bible says we should use to define success. Biblical success is not based on answering how many type questions. It's based on answering what kind type questions. Let me show you what I mean. Success is not defined by how many people call your church home. It's defined by the kind of people who call your church home. It's not defined by how many people are a part of your children's ministry. It's defined by what kind of children come out of your children's ministry. It's not defined by how many married couples come to your church. It's defined by what kind of marriages those couples have. It's not defined by how many different races of people come to your church. It's defined by what kind of relationship those different races have with each other. It's not defined by how many mission trips and activities your church does. It's defined by what kind of mission trips and activities your church does. It's not the how many, how stable, how large questions. It's the what kind questions. What kind questions are the ones that no one wants to sit around and answer because they're personal, uncomfortable, and much harder to rightly evaluate. Pastors and church leaders struggle with this immensely. What do you think the top answer is to this all too often question? How are things going at your church? You know, you get pastors around each other, how are things going at your church? Well, if the answer doesn't speak to numbers, it speaks to budget. If it doesn't speak to budget, it speaks to buildings. If it doesn't speak to buildings or budget or bodies, it speaks to programs. We'll say things like this. Well, you know, we've had a lot of people visiting the church lately. Well, you know, our giving's really dropped off since last year. Well, we just got done remodeling the children's wing. Or, you know, we just started this new program. That's just how it goes. And maybe you've answered those exact same ways to that question. But biblical success is not first and foremost defined by the externals, but by the internals. It's not primarily about what we do, but rather about who we are and whose we are. Biblical success places the emphasis on being before doing. Why? Because what we do or don't do flows out of who we are on the inside. Jesus said just the exact same thing in Matthew 23. He told the Pharisees that they clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of all the vices of the world. He said they're like whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful to look at, but inside are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. He also said in Matthew 15 that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that is what defiles him. This finds its mirror image in Proverbs 4.23, where he says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So what we do will flow out of who we are. It's now time to return to that pen that we placed just a little bit ago. So what are the internals? What are the things 
that we should be developing within us. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of this church? Okay, go ahead, tell me. Who knows the stated purpose of KPC? Anybody at all? What's our purpose? Discipleship. That's a great answer to hear the discipleship pastor to hear. That's, that's fantastic. Um, experience, grow, and serve. Okay. Anybody else? Passion, passion, passion. Compassion, compassion. There we go. Okay. Wonderful. To live as a people passionate for God and compassionate towards people, or passion for God, compassion for people. The other thing we say is to deeply experience the love and presence of God in lives of worship, to grow as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, and to serve a world hungry for his truth and love. Very good. Where are those taken from biblically? Who can tell me? There's two main places that all of that comes from in the Bible. Go ahead, shout it out. First and second, what? Oh, the greatest commandment, wonderful, and what else? The Great Commission, perfect. The Great Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, or literally disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Love God, love people, disciple the nations. In order for us to be biblically successful, we must have our eyes set on achieving the purpose God has laid out for us and be running after that with every bit of strength that he gives us. Then we can rightly evaluate whether we are a successful church based on whether we are achieving God's purpose for us. So, now we're going to slip into the uncomfortable zone of the sermon. Are we a successful church? Our passage from Ephesians 4 gives us some of the greatest guidelines for evaluating ourselves that can be found in just one passage of Scripture. There's lots of places that you can look in Scripture, but Ephesians 4 has tons of stuff that we can use. Every question I'm about to ask you is taken from Ephesians 4 if we asked ourselves the uncomfortable questions. So here they are. Individually, do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called? Do we have a walk that demonstrates humility and gentleness? Does your walk demonstrate patience and the ability to bear with one another in love? Does the way you live your life, is that eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Do you all, as a church body, understand and walk in agreement with the biblical job description of your pastors, which is this, to equip you for the work of ministry, to build you up as the body of Christ, to call you to the unity of faith, to increase your understanding of the person and work of Jesus, to challenge you to raise the bar and no longer be children, but instead press towards maturity and the fullness of Christ by growing up in every way. That is our biblical job description as pastors. It's only part of it, but it's a good big chunk of it. 
Do you as a church understand that's our job? As an entire church, all of us together, are we committed to no longer being tossed and fro by the cultural crisis of the day or the doctrinal heresy of the month? And before you just say yes to that, let me just remind you that we can actually watch you on Facebook as your pastors. And I'm just going to tell you guys, over the last couple of weeks, some of the things you say on Facebook, you exemplify being tossed to and fro. You just do. You're all over the place. Are you committed to learning what it is to work together properly as a body with Christ as our head? As a church, do we know how to speak the truth and love on a regular basis? Is that the way we communicate with each other as a church? As a church, do we know how to put on the new self or new nature that Christ has provided for us so that we are a reflection of his true righteousness and holiness as we go out into the world around us? As a church, have we learned to let Have we learned what to let go of and how to let it go so that we no longer walk as we used to walk? Is there a definite distinction between who you were and who you now are? And is that distinction growing, that I'm no longer who I was? Instead, I am who I am. Are the all-too-common vices of lying, slander, anger, bitterness, and gossip rare to non-existent within this church family. Are they really? Is the spirit-led and spirit-wrought transformation of people's lives common and celebrated in our midst? Is it a big deal when when God does something in somebody's life? Do we honor that the right way? This morning was a beautiful example of what we did with Jim. It's beautiful. And are we known in our community as a kind church, a tender-hearted church, a forgiving church, and a generous church? Is that how we're known in this community? What kind of people are we? How are we really doing at loving God? How are we really doing at loving people? How are we really doing at discipling the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded? Well, Pastor Chris, I mean, my goodness, I mean, what, do you, what do you expect? It doesn't matter what Pastor Chris expects. Not one bit. It only matters what God expects. And so what does God expect? What do you believe God expects from you? from us. Perfection. He expects perfection. He expects you and me to walk in perfect love and perfect holiness every second of every day until we slip into eternity. Find me one place that it doesn't say that. In here, just one place. It runs through the whole thing. His expectation is very clear. 
It's not in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. There's no exception. He demands holiness, righteousness, fellowship, and intimacy with his redeemed people every second of every day. He expects and is actively working on the purification of his bride, that is the church, so that we might be made spotless and pure for the bridegroom. That's Jesus. Now, I understand it isn't quite as socially acceptable to use words like demands and expects as it used to be. They sound so harsh and abrasive to today's listeners. Indeed, today's culture likes words like calls for, asks, seeks. I understand. I get it. I really, really do. But he's God. He demands that the stars stay in their orbits, and they do. He expects the sun to keep shining, and it does. The very fact that you take a breath over and over and over again is because he allows it. There's none like him, and what he demands and what he expects and what he says is, is. And we cannot run from these words, but he's also both at the same time. And so we can't forget the other. He does ask, and he does seek, and he does call for, but he also demands and he expects, and he expects us to be perfect all the time. And that's where the real crux of the whole thing, isn't it? Because, Pastor Chris, aren't we all just sinners saved by grace, just trying to get through as best we can for as long as we can? But at the end of the day, we're still just sinners. No, you're not. You're so much more than that. And until we shake free from this hellish lie that sin is still the master and that Christ only brought and bought salvation through the cross, we are diminishing the gospel. Because the cross didn't just bring forgiveness. It brought cleansing. It brought transformation. It brought healing. It brought freedom. You want some more? It brought victory. It brought a second chance. It brought hope. It brought love. It brought joy. I've got some more. It brought peace. It brought power. It brought grace. It brought justice. It brought purity. Here's a few more that aren't even on the slide. It brought an end to what was and a beginning to what is. It brought adoption. It brought reconciliation. It brought holiness. And it brings life. So don't keep buying the lie that you're defined by your sin. For those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no longer any condemnation. Jesus' redemptive work on the cross changes everything. And by everything, I mean everything. I told you in my very first sermon that I accepted a call to come to KPC in order to wage war on low-bar Christianity. My objective has not changed. The bar has got to be raised because a low bar does not induce passion for God and it will not bring forth a compassion for people. So what are the effects of a low bar on a church? Can I be real? Can I be real real like that guy was earlier? Okay. 
Since I preached my first sermon 13 months ago, here's what I've seen. I've seen people choose not to bear with one another in love and walk away from this fellowship. I've seen the effects of members on this church pouring out unrighteous anger on both a high school volunteer and a young adult volunteer because of troubles with a sound system. I've seen people direct malice and ill will towards one another. I've heard gossip. I've heard people slander other people and embrace unforgiveness. I've heard the grumblings of discontent and I've seen the lack of respect for authority. I've seen people pounded with truth without a drop of love to be found. And I've seen a lack of concern for the spiritual upbringing of the next generation and at the same time seen the concerns of the older generation ignored. That's the effect of the low bar. And yet, all your pastors are still here, still calling for you to raise the bar, still calling for you to establish a new normal, still calling for you to learn what it really means to love one another, even as each of your pastors and their families are seeking to do the same. But why am I still here? Why do I keep calling forth these things? Because over those same 13 months, I have seen some of the most amazing things I've ever seen happen at a church. <laughs> we have seen physical and emotional healings. We, I've seen people stepping out in faith to work on their marriages. I've literally watched people grow in their faith and press towards maturity as they've been discipled. I've seen life group leaders come together and begin to really know each other. I've seen pastors pour their hearts out. I've seen relationships form between the men of the church and the women of the church because of the revamping of each of those ministries. I've seen care and compassion of the elders on a regular basis. I've seen the effort and humility of our deacons. I've seen people step into service that have no title, no role, and no position, but simply a desire to help and serve. I've seen a week-long effort to minister to children. I've seen a church beginning to embrace a vision of helping churches in northern Ghana make known the wonder of Jesus. And I've seen people just barely beginning to learn what it really means to truly love each other. And it is simply undeniable that God is at work in this place and the bar is beginning to raise. That's why I'm still here. But KPC, there is a battle for the heart and soul of this church going on. I'm here because I believe God is gonna lead us to victory. I'm here because I have to spend my life on something that matters. I've said it before that the wheels are going to come off the bicycle of our culture. And when they come off, it's going to be more painful than we're prepared for right now. And this culture will need the church, capital C, church. They're going to need a mature and well-equipped church. They're going to need this church. They will need KPC to be a place where they can run to, find answers at, and a place where they can find purpose and love. They will need us to be a place that knows how to love God, love people, and disciple the nations. They need us to be successful. They need us to be that. But we can't just wait for them to come here. I know it seems that I focus an awful lot on who we are as a church. 
It seems that way because I do. So if you picked up on that, that's okay. It's actually what I do for right now. But don't mistake what I'm currently doing for my ultimate aim. The world will know you by your love for one another, Jesus said. The world, the same world that's made up of nations, the same nations that we are to disciple, the same disciples that we're to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the same, disciple, the same baptized disciples that we are to teach to obey all that Jesus has commanded. So KPC, the goal is not singular. It's not just our own spiritual maturity. The goal is also out there, outside of these walls where your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, and even total strangers are who need Jesus. But they also need to be taught how to obey Jesus. Can you do that? Can you teach them how to obey all the things that Jesus has said? Do you obey all the things Jesus said? If you want to know what makes your discipleship pastor's heart skip a beat, his pulse quicken, and his eyes sparkle, it's this, the adventure of discovery, the messiness of ministry, the adventure of going out into this world and inviting others into that discovery, the adventure of becoming more and more and more and more and more and more like Jesus, walking like him, talking like him, loving like him. It's the call of my life and the passion of my soul, and yet the bar is so high, so very, very high. How am I ever going to achieve it? I can't, and I won't, and you can't, and you won't, but he will. The one that's inside of us is an untapped and unmatched power source, He's more than a counselor. He's more than a comforter. He's the raw, unquenchable power of God. And he transforms us from sinner to children. Transforms us from sinner to children. He's the embodiment of holiness. And if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He empowers us with victory. He points us to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and says, you are a co-heir with Christ because you've been crucified with Christ. And that life you now live, you no longer live on your own. But Christ who lives in you, and you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself up for you. So what I'm saying is that not one person in here could ever hope to achieve what God is expecting and commanding us to do. But there is a way because all things are yes in him. There's a way forward, and that way is to abandon yourself to the Lord of the universe. Admit you cannot hope to meet his expectations, and in that admission, you will find life. And there's three different levels of it, and I'm closing the whole thing down with this. First and foremost, it's through conversion. That which was dead has now come to newness of life. Nicodemus looked at Jesus and said, what must a man do to be born again? And he tells him, you have to be born again. What, do I have to go back into my mom again? What is, how does that work, Jesus? No, you need to be born of the Spirit, and that which is dead will come to life. And so if that's never happened with you, that's the first step. There's this great song, come, just as you are, 
Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Y'all know that one? Secondly, through consecration, because the old is gone and the new is come, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that is the only way to be holy as he is holy, is to simply abide in Christ so that all that Jesus sees, all that God sees is Jesus. There's this other song, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. So take my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O oh Lord. Y'all know that one too? And thirdly and lastly, through commitment. You must commit, or my word, be intentional to learn what it means to obey all that Jesus has commanded and then commit to teach others also. You have to commit to that. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. We have to commit to it. Church, I have no idea if all the words I've said today have made it to your hearts. But I do know that five years from now, if we pursue biblical success, really loving God, really loving people, and really discipling the nations, we will be the kind of church we must be because this world is not getting any better. And God has entrusted to his bride, the church, the only source of hope that exists. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And so I submit to you these words. I hope they have not just been Chris Greenwood's thoughts. I hope and I pray that they have stirred within you something something meaningful and lasting. I hope you're not discouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I hope at the same time that we have looked full on in the mirror and realized that we're not there yet. 
but we are getting there. We are going the right way. And were it not so, I would tell you. But we're going the right way. Be encouraged, church. The altar ministers will be glad to come on up. If you want me to pray with you for a little bit today, I'll stay for a while down here and pray. But as the altar ministers come, let me say a prayer for us, and then I'm going to end with a benediction from Ephesians 3. Father, thank you so much for the high and wonderful privilege of being in front of these people. God, you have called me as one of these pastors to equip them for the work of the ministry. And yet so often in so many ways, I feel ill-equipped for the work of the ministry. For the call is very, very high. The bar is so up, far up there. And over and over and over again, you have to remind me that it's, it's beyond me to get to the bar. But you in me, you get there easily. If I would just get out of the way and let you live through me. Oh God, would you take us as a people and would you help us to get out of the way so that people can see Jesus, that they can come to life in Jesus that they can become more and more holy because of Jesus, and they can commit themselves to learning all that you have to teach us to be able to teach others also. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand and receive this benediction, and then please stay for prayer if you'd like to. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.